Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. This show is intended for information purposes only, but we're not experts. We're just two guys within the Bitcoin community. Bitcoin is an experiment in the separation of money and state. You'll be surprised how many will support that. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, number 51. Uh, I am your trusty first host back from little sabbatical, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. And always host number three, Corey. Welcome back, Cello. Glad to have you, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. I, I, I hope I still remember how to do this whole talk on the internet thing. It's been a while. It's not too tough. You just talk right into the microphone. Yeah, you guys held it. <laughs> you guys held it down though. Appreciate we it. Thanks. We tried. Uh, you know, it was a squad. Uh, we squad. You ask for our shit. Yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and uh yeah, I, I like Dimitrix ad a little bit. Um he was a lot more thorough than me. And I like the, the new jingles, but let's get into it. Um as for my bits, I, I first off I want to thank them because they re upped their subscription, so you're gonna be hearing them at the top of our show for like another three months. That's how much they love us. Yep, yep. And we love them. So, um, you know, you can escrow your shit with escrowmybits.com. It's fast. It's super easy. And it only takes three steps. Just register and deposit your Bitcoin. The seller ships the item. Buyer checks the goods. You know, we talk about it every week. Uh, the, the cool thing about them is they currently offer Bitcoin escrow on a chain pegged to a fiat value using new bits. So there's no complex math at the point of sale. And uh, your funds are kept in a secure two of a three multi-signature transaction where they hold only one key and the rest is yours. So, you know, their goal is to make using escrow as simple as possible. And we here, me, Corey, and Dimitrik, we want there to be no longer any excuses on why to not use escrow. So to start the escrow process, just go to their website, sign up for their newsletter, stay up to date, all that good stuff. Escrow your shit with escrowmybits.com. Escrow your shit with escrow your bits. <laughs> you gotta escrow some shit. Use escrowmybits.com. There it is. We just found it. No. I think that's it. I like that. No. You didn't like that? Corey, you didn't like that? <laughs> Sorry. We need, a, we need a harmony of some sort. We'll have to work on that. All right. Wait, was that like an, an Expedia.com jingle? Yeah, there was. I tried to steal from a little bit. Dot com. Sure. Anyways. We'll try not to but now that we got Marcello back in the game, he can keep us on track. Talk about yeah. new interesting shit. You can comment on it. We got a lot to well, talk Dimitri about. Well, Dimitri said, well, he brought, he said something that scared me. What was it? You were just saying that people at Circle were getting hacked. And then I'm reading today that another 87 Bitcoin addresses got compromised. Like, how is that possible? What is going on? Should we be scared? You know, what is the I don't think so. This, this, the uh, the eighty-seven Bitcoin addresses being compromised was due to a. I, I haven't looked into this, but it's due to an interesting way of of uh, using the same address over and over again. Mm. Um, a guy was able to. I'm not. A, I need to look into this, but he's able to essentially take your shit, take your Bitcoin, and keep it if you use the same address over and over and over again for your Bitcoin transactions, which 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 why which is why you should use a wallet like Airbits, which has an automatic hierarchical deterministic uh, address creation. So every time you do a different transaction, it does a different 
Bitcoin address automatically. You don't have to worry about any of that type of stuff, which keeps you from being vulnerable to an attack like this. And the guy who's doing this stuff with the compromised uh, addresses is essentially just broadcasting that he's doing it and saying, if one of these addresses is your addresses and you've noticed missing Bitcoin, contact me and I'll give it right back to you because it's, it's a bug and he's trying to keep bad people from taking your money. Well, isn't Wait. that like you have a bad lock on your house, so I did you a favor, broke in and stole your stuff before a bad guy did. Hit me up and I'll give you all your stuff back. That sounds super sketchy. It is sketchy, but the same guy, I think, has been doing the same thing for a long time. He's been doing what this. If, what if someone least... came up to your house? What if someone came up to your house and said, hey, um, I noticed you had this weird vulnerability in your bank account, so I went ahead and took all your money out of it. And here it is. Here's all your money. Right, right, you just have it right back. Yeah, do you get mad or do you say like thanks? No, or, it's like thanks, dude. I'm, thanks for all my money. I'm glad you didn't steal it, and I'm glad no one else stole it. Wait, like, what, what, what are you doing in that situation? Like, you can't do. You're you're vulnerable, and someone else wasn't taking advantage of it. So you thank that person. Wait, so Marcello, you just punch the guy in the face and take your money back? Like, I don't. How, do you, how are your emotions so mixed on that? Well, I mean, yeah. Do you get mad, and then you're like, well, thanks, but the way you did it. I can't get angry, but I guess I can. I don't know, that's, that would throw me for a loop. Uh, I see what you're saying. At first, you're like, whoa, my privacy. You have definitely compromised it. However, well, I think it's one of those things that you kind of have to try in order for it to su- su- succeed. So you don't really know that you're vulnerable until someone tries to do it. So he's, he, what he did was he created a bot that's just going through the blockchain. And anytime he gets something, he, he holds on to it and then broadcasts the address where he gets it from. Whereas someone else could make this bot and never say a damn word about it. And hmm. who knows? Maybe someone else is doing that and people are losing their money and not getting it back. Yep. Which would you rather so, have? There's, there's two options. Well, there's three. Fix it. And then someone taking your money and someone taking your money and then giving it back. That's a hard one. I mean, I'd rather him take my money and give it right back and then tell me, oh, by the way, you need to fix that. I mean, that's basically like you said, like if you got a fence around your house and then somebody just like gets in and steals your TV and then they bring you your TV back and they say, oh, by the way, that latch that you have on your fence, that gate, it's totally broken. You might Maybe it's like someone. I'm like, just testing out your security peeking, system. Like peeking through your windows, like watching you like beat off in the bathroom. Wow. And he like comes over <laughs> one day and he's like, hey, man. Uh, I can totally see you. I've been watching you for like a month now. <laughs> so um, awkward. You should you should close you should close that window, bro. And you're like, oh shit, that was that was pretty vulnerable of me. Thanks for telling me. Uh, why are you even? Or you could just be long? like, <laughs> or just be like, I know. And curveball. <laughs> I know. I know. Thanks I know. for watching. Thank you. <laughs> well. So, so why did minimize you scared, the risk? You said it got me you scared? scared. Yeah, you said it like it got it got you scared that uh, somebody I don't not not circle was hacked. Was it circle? No, was that no, 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 not uh, circle. It was shapeshift. No, shapeshift. Shapeshift uh, was hacked. had a vulnerability attack. I don't know why or how they did it. I didn't. I don't think you. I'm not even sure if they broadcasted it. But shapeshift was attacked or had a vulnerability leak. And so what they did was yeah. shut down their entire service. And the mm-hmm. way Shapeshift works in the first place is that no user funds are ever vulnerable. So yeah. no one ever got their money stolen except for some reserve funds that Shapeshift had. Yep. Um, and they shut down, 
retooled from the very beginning uh, to take make sure that this can't happen again, and they'll be opening back up. I really soon. like how Voorhees. What's interesting? Team gets down. But go ahead, Cello. Well, they they actually have a bug bounty program where they are reaching out to community. If you can find valid vulnerabilities, they'll give you three hundred dollars. That's pretty smart. Oh, yeah, Coinbase has the same thing. Hacker. Oh, do they? Yeah, Coinbase has a little bit more of a bounty. Coinbase's bounty is dependent upon the compromise that you find. So if you that find something bullshit, that... though, huh? Because didn't that one dude like broadcast his double spin? Peter Todd, I think. Yeah, he broadcast the double spin on Coinbase, and they just they just shut his account down. I think. I so. mean, I think there was there were other circumstances around him doing this, but I really felt like. Yeah. It was like, thanks, bro. Uh, no more account for you. I, mean, I think he might have been gambling yeah. as well. I don't know. Uh, I don't the... know. I'm, it's all speculation. I don't know. Don't yeah. don't take my word for that. But uh, I don't know the like if the ins and outs of the hacker community. But I think from what I, I read, a good amount on the forum on the, uh, the of the comments on that post that Peter Todd made, and apparently he did a dickish thing in the hacker community, and so. You know, I think it's a dickish thing. He it said, I guess what he could have done instead of posting what he did to Coinbase was contact Coinbase and say, "Hey, I did this thing," and they probably would have gave him a reward and they would have said, "Thank you, Peter Todd." But instead, he was like, "Hey guys, look how I effed over Coinbase," and he put it all over the internet first. And yeah, like, there's there's two sides to that story. It could be they didn't listen to him a few times, and so he had to come out to the general public and say, "This is what I'm doing." This is the this is the record of me doing it. I want to make sure that everyone sees that exactly how I'm doing it because he published the code. Mm-hmm. He then he said when he was going to do it, and then he did it. He said I did it. Here's the record of me doing it, and here's the money back. And you really can't blame him for any of that. And what is what is a dickish thing in the hacker community? Hmm, that's a good in question. General. That's something maybe I don't <laughs> even care to know. So. I know one thing. The guy that plays Dwight Schrute on The Office needs to play Peter Todd if they ever make a movie about Bitcoin. Maybe. Same exact face. What is? Oh, his painting going on. What's show. going on there? Oh, People are. I think he has like Leonardo da Vinci in his, in his kitchen. What the hell is he girls. using to paint? I can hear every well, single it, droplet of paint hitting the wall right now. Sorry, my mic is just so good. Dang, we use that top dollar mic. Should we give the company that makes our mics a shout out? Yeah, who makes my mic? Oh, I can't even tell by their logo. It's like E A E with a line going through it. Oh, Eve. Shout out to I don't Eve know, whatever. microphones. Whatever. Anyways, so I believe Cello, you said you were scared because it seems like Bitcoin, after all these years, still has what could be some security, uh, some points of security failure on the user end which just sets the bar back even more for people being comfortable using this stuff yeah man like uh, andreas is right you know now that bitcoin's here the the invention cannot be uninvented and the the idea will never die but this version of it is is coming unreasonably close to a cliff with all these uh uh new developments and um you know if it's not bitcoin it's gonna be something else yeah that's true so you're starting to waver in terms of your 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 like rock steady feeling that it's going to be Bitcoin or Bitcoin's the one. Uh, yeah, we're it's a case of the seven year itch. I think I think that's where 
it might just be paranoia or a fear of the unknown. But you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of got a bad feeling about the immediate future. You know, I have a pretty good feeling. I think that I mean, there may be. I don't feel like we're ready for the mainstream yet because of these types of pickups and bumps, which is only teaching us how to take care of this type of stuff. Because this is the you know we're, this is all charting new territory, right? No one's ever done this before. No one's ever done anything like this before or close to this. So when something happens, it's like, oh, shit, uh, we didn't see this coming because there's no history to look back on. Mm -hmm. But there's enough smart people in the industry to kind of adapt to it, figure out how to fix it, to not let it happen again. And then We're we pioneers. Have history to look We're straight up yeah. pioneers. Straight up pioneers. Gold yep. mining this shit. Straight up Christopher Columbus in this shit. You know, that's how we're, well, we're going to kill all the Indians. <laughs> well, let's compare the, the the having from 2012 to the one coming up before it went into the mainstream. All right. It's not in the mainstream. Bitcoin is very not in the mainstream, and that's the it's thing way that better we than it was way better than it was. <sighs> it's, it's okay, it's it's if, people, if you they're okay now. If you go out and talk to someone and say, "Do you know what Bitcoin is?" There's a chance they're going to say, "Yeah, I've heard of it." They may not know what it means, but they've heard of it, right? It's like cell phones, right? A long time ago, uh, I, was, I was watching this video. A lot of people went around and say, hey, do you want a personal cell phone? They're like, no, I don't really need one. I don't feel like it's necessary. But they knew what a cell phone was, right? We're approaching this level. We're not there yet. We're approaching this level of, of adoption and, and, and public awareness of Bitcoin is that they're like, oh, I've heard of Bitcoin. Uh, I don't understand why I need it or what it's useful for. It's an exactly the same thing that people said about cell phones. Like, oh, I don't need to be reached all the time. I have a personal phone at my house and, a, and, a, and an answering machine. That's all that's necessary. And guess who doesn't have any of that shit anymore? Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. It's, 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 it's grown. It's grown since 2012. And, and do you really think that all the day traders and the market speculators are going to wait until July to start buying it? And do you think all the like the nervous people are going to wait until July to start dumping it? You know, in my opinion, I, I bet you starting around June first, transaction volume into and out of Bitcoin is going to it's going to spike like significantly. And the system is struggling with the volume now. I've I've regularly seen my transactions take up to an hour for one confirmation over the last couple of months. And how is this going to improve by June? You know, well, what fear are you? I'm, well, I'm just advise me on what plan A is to correct it in the short term. Right. You're, you're right. You're right. And currently, it's it's you need to actually be aware of a fee, and because the blocks at some times during the day, at some points of of, of a lot of volume, there it it may take a while if you don't have a large fee. So you need to kind of throw three cents onto your transaction to let it go through quicker. So that's that's neat. We could we could turn it down to zero. When we have the Lightning Network. The Lightning Network will essentially allow, which is supposed to be operational, hopefully, during the summer, which essentially means it's it, our, the Bitcoin automatically scales to millions of transactions a second for almost zero fee. Mm -hmm. Then what happens? It may take a while to get there. It may take. It may be sluggish in the process, but so what? We're not. We're not, millions and millions of people are, are not using the system right now. Mm -hmm. It's only us geeks and edge cases for, for Bitcoin. And we don't have the use case right now to really worry about millions and millions and millions of volume right now. So as we kind of slowly trudge in a secure way to get mm -hmm. to this point, 
then so what? I think the high. I think the highway is being built. This is the thing. I think it's just like roads. I think roads are the best analogy for what's happening. Uh, highways weren't always a thing. In fact, they weren't a thing until like early 20th century, maybe even mid 20th century. I think some president, Eisenhower, not Eisenhower, one of those presidents made highways a thing and they started building highways because there were so many disjointed and fragmented roads and traffic was because becoming an issue and all those things. Bitcoin's like the highway that's being built. And Marcello, you you uh, commute, right? I do. And so you know I-35 is a bitch with the traffic sometimes. It's a bitch. Because of the construction. Okay, so just because it's going to be congested doesn't mean people aren't going to eventually get to where they need to go. Just like with transactions, just because right now things are a little congested doesn't mean that eventually think the transactions won't go to where they need to go. Now, as this highway is being built upon and it flourishes, then you're going to start to see a lot more transactions flow through. But right now, hey, it's a little baby. It's seven years old. But here's the thing. Let's think about realistically how many off-chain transactions already take place. A shit ton. I know most of the major exchanges run some sort of off-chain transaction. They have to, to do high-volume trading like they do. Let's talk, Coinbase is definitely doing off-chain transactions. Absolutely. And they were late to the, the exchange. The majority of the transactions that happens within Coinbase are off-chain. Yep. And then they settle. Change tip, off-chain. BitPay, off-chain. All these things are doing off-chain transactions already. So the only thing that's going to happen is that all these people that are having off-chain transactions, your Coinbase's, your Bitcoin, BTC China, or sorry, BTCC, uh, BitPay, uh, all the various massive exchanges, Kraken, Polo, running off-chain transactions because they have to because of a lot of volume. They're going to end up dumping more of that volume to the Bitcoin blockchain, which is going to act like the highway. So in the meantime... Yeah, I mean, so what, what you're saying is that a lot of these people, because they're worried about filling up the block, or it's even easier for them to do things using their own, own inner, inner chain or inner ledger, is that once the once the... Like whatever happens to the Bitcoin blockchain in terms of it being able to scale to the infinite level or whatever level it needs to scale to, uh, they'll start to pour all those transactions back into the chain. And I think that's true. And that'll happen with a Lightning Network or something like that. But uh, Andreas Antonopoulos recently released a video on YouTube which talks a lot about this. And he calls it an infrastructure inversion. Maybe not an infrastructure inversion, but he talks about how... Um, Technologies that are built on old infrastructures um, really work really clumsily in the beginning. Essentially, what his, his first analogy is horses used to make dirt roads. And then when cars were invented, when they drove on the dirt roads that horses used, they were really slow and like, oh, shit, this isn't working. Cars are stupid. They'll never work. But when we built the infrastructure for cars, the horses could still really use the roads really well. But the cars worked really well. And that allowed for a lot of other Really great inventions, and then he talks about a lot of other a lot of other these types of uh, infrastructure inversions or technology inversions, and that's what's going to happen with Bitcoin. And we're right in the middle of like the dirt road as we start to build the infrastructure, these highways that you just spoke about. We're building those highways, and I think I, mean, I implore anyone to go look at um, that video that Andreas put, uh, put up on YouTube. It's great. So, but for now, we should probably get absolutely. Into our- 
interview. Yeah, it's guest time. Um, episode 42, we had uh, Mr. Bennett on, who um, created Pop Chess. So, you, so we, we kind of introduced you to the idea of like Bitcoin micropayments. So now we thought it'd be really cool if we invited someone on who actually uses that platform. Um, so we got Laura Lopez, who runs SuchWow.tv. And she is actually just like Mr. Bennett. She's in Los Angeles, and she is a reality TV editor. Uh, she thinks that cryptocurrency micropayments are the way forward for content creators. And uh, she also teaches an introductory Bitcoin class. So she's entrenched in it. And uh, if I can speak generally, most people are doubtful about Bitcoin and its price volatility. But as soon as content creators realize that they can win a lot more dis uh, distributing their creations through Bitcoin than with actual models like AdSense, or even Amazon, despite the variability of its price, the Bitcoin market can explode. And hopefully this is the first step in uh, changing the world of content distri distribution using Bitcoin. So uh, she, she deems it a success. Um, I like her website. I like the content. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, we support micropayments here. So, uh, you know, let's get her in the studio and get a firsthand account of all that good stuff. All righty. Here, you're just gonna take my thing. <laughs> I, didn't, you right I up. didn't know you just, were gonna come back. Just, <laughs> just snatched my thing. All right. So first off, um, I'm a web designer, and I'm always kind of bashing logos in the Bitcoin space. I came across your website, which kind of led to that shout out on another episode of our show. I love your website. I just gotta say that I think the logo is awesome. Tell us a little bit about how, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about how Such Wow TV came about, and a little bit about your background, kind of as a reality TV editor. Yeah, so um, I've been working in the entertainment industry for about, let's say, twelve to thirteen years now. Been editing full time for about seven, and you know, editing has taught me a lot. Um, it's taught me how it's, it's taught me a lot of really challenging things, you know, how to use music, how to craft a story, um, how do you take people out of context, which is a big thing that we do in reality TV. Um, and, you know, I've spent enough time um, in the industry now that, you know, a lot of editors do this, um, that they kind of want to either start producing or they want to start directing or they want to start making their own stuff at a certain point in their careers. And, uh, back in 2011, I got really into, into Bitcoin, you know, like, uh, like a lot of us did. And that's been a lot of where my focus has been the past few years is in how do I use, how do I translate the current skill set that I have into either helping Bitcoin succeed or using Bitcoin to help myself succeed. So that's sort of, that was kind of the impetus for starting kind of this media company that, that I'm launching right now. And I actually, I upload at the same time, both on YouTube and on my website. So I'm still sort of in my brand building phase. I'm still building my audience and, and all that good stuff. But, um, so basically like, uh, some months ago, it was, it was a while ago at this point, I was, you know, on Reddit, you know, reading the Bitcoin subreddits, which, you know, I spent a lot of time doing. And I, uh, I came over, uh, I came up on this thing, like, uh, the service called Pop Chash. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, like that sounds perfect. 
you know, upload a video. There's like a QR code like embedded like after a preview. And it sounded like really, really awesome to me. So I signed up, you know, like uh, for the waiting list. And as soon as I, you know, was able to use the service, I got my site up and started using it. And, uh, you know, for the most part, like I use Squarespace. Uh, for my website, I love Squarespace. It's really easy because I'm not a web designer by trade necessarily, you know. So right. Squarespace makes things like really easy for people who don't, you know, know how to code HTML or CSS and just build galleries of your, you know, your video and you can embed code, you know, and all that good stuff. And so that's kind of, um, that's where that uh, came from. So essentially I'm just, I'm building a media company. Um, that's doing two things. I'm trying to make original content and I'm also, um, splitting my time between LA and the Bay area doing like, uh, product videos for, uh, startups. Um, hopefully specifically oh, cool. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency related companies. Well, you mentioned pop chest and we had, uh, I guess the founder, Mr. Bennett on the show who kind of talked to us about micropayments and he kind of gave us his own stance. And then you kind of wrote to us and you told us that you had your own values and opinions on the whole micropayment kind of structure. Uh, so I wanted to get, you know, your, your unfiltered thoughts and your own stance on, on your kind of view on micropayments. Yeah. Well, you know, this is something I definitely think about a lot because as has been established, you know, by a number of people, it's really hard to get people to pay for things because they've been conditioned to think that they can and will continue potentially forever to consume content for free. But the issue with that is that content is not free to make. Although, you know, we live in this world now full of this vast ocean of user-generated content. And sort of the kind of the issue is that it's a bit of a supply and demand problem. Like you have a ton of user-generated content, but a lot of it is frankly not that, not that great. So therefore, you know, YouTube and other big uh, user-generated content platforms set the price point for that content in terms of how much you get in ad revenue, pretty low, you know, but there's a whole mid tier of people that are creating valuable content that have, you know, lots of subscribers, you know, that, that people love who are not able to make an actual living um, based on the intense amount of time that they're putting into this stuff. Cause that's another thing about content is like, there's a big time investment um, that goes into creating this stuff as well as materials, as, as well as everything else. And, I definitely believe, you know, especially having, you know, I guess the privilege of working in the entertainment industry for a while, you know, that people deserve to get paid for their work, in particular if, if they've been able to build an audience on the Internet. But the struggle is getting people to pay for stuff in the first place. So I think, you know, there's a number of directions that, that this could go in. Um, what I think Popchus is actually going to be really great for is migrating mid-tier YouTubers who are not signed to a multi-channel network off the platform by um, hopefully getting them to create sort of one-off pieces of premium content. So basically, like, a lot of their stuff can still be on YouTube because that's where a lot of their viewers are, but then they can say, you know, they have a big video they're planning or they have, like, 
a video that say, I want to invest some more time and money or resources into. And they say to their subscribers, you know, thanks so much for following us on YouTube. But, you know, there's this other thing we're trying out right now. Like this one video we put a lot of time in. If you just throw us like 10 cents, you know, if you could watch it over here instead of YouTube. And if they, let's say, um, you know, I'm not, uh, not great at doing math in my head on the fly, but if they have like 10,000 subscribers and they get even 10% of those people to go and make a payment, you know, they're going to be able to see really, really fast how much more money they can make as opposed to just dealing with, with the YouTube platform. Like the potential there for people to make an actual living is, is huge. Um, but you know, there's actually something else really, really cool coming out soon. I think you actually talked to these guys recently. I think you just haven't published, uh, the podcast episode yet, but, um, you guys have heard of yours network. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was with Steve Mackey. Yeah. 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 Like, um, I'm super excited about, about that. Like I cannot wait for that to come out. Um, because I think, that could potentially solve the incentivization problem that we have with getting people to pay content creators in the first place. Hmm. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. That's yeah everyone in the Bay area, them. they're doing great things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are. That's, uh, that's one of the reasons I'm splitting my time between LA and, and up there because the media people are down in LA. I'm down in um, LA right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, most, I mean, there's Bitcoin people in LA, you know, there's, there's definitely cryptocurrency people in LA, but the concentration of people working on, um, like related things up there is, is much, much higher. And, uh, I'm, I'm particularly excited about that project. And in fact, um, I'm in, uh, early stage talks with them to hopefully make a video kind of explaining what they're doing and that kind of stuff. Awesome. I, something you just opened my eyes to is, people uh and myself included need to start get comfortable with having to pay for all these things that i enjoy so much on the internet and, yeah uh, I, I know it's, it's creeping up on us because yeah. you see youtube now has youtube red and now you can't watch mm-hmm. a youtube video without seeing three commercials and it's like damn really am i gonna have yeah. to just pay the 10 bucks a month so i don't have to see all this and it's it's definitely creeping up on everyone so i think yeah uh, it's ripe. Pop chest is ripe. So you did mention that there's a whole wash of middle tier, I guess, content creators on YouTube and other areas. And so when it comes to on ramping those people, both to Bitcoin and micro payments, and you believe it involves integrating humor as a way to get people to understand it and interested in consuming, you know, Bitcoin related content. So why humor? Why is this your advertising well, you know that, go to yeah like one of the things um that i've discovered uh in my editing career is that when you incorporate like aspects of comedy like when people people love to laugh first off you know everybody everybody does but mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a really effective way of engaging people in terms of opening their minds because if you Present, you know, I mean, I personally believe, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency are huge, you know, major technological innovations that really have the potential to change the world, like in a really big way, you know, like the internet. For me, it's a very serious topic. 
But, you know, for the average person, you know, their eyes kind of start glazing over when they see a Bitcoin address or, you know, you start talking about how the network really works. You know, just like, man, that's too complicated. I don't get it. And, you know, we can't really necessarily expect the end user to really be interested in how the technology really operates or all the rest of it. You know, similar to the way that most of us don't really get how DNS works and that kind of thing. We just use the Internet and we do whatever we want with it, you know, and that's good enough. You know, that's, that's most people's attitude towards it. But, you know, when you start incorporating, at least my attitude towards it is when you start incorporating humor into it, people, their minds just kind of subconsciously open and you're able to get some sort of concepts in there that, you know, just kind of plant planting seeds of uh, like, oh, you know, that was funny. Um, you know, I'm just, like kind of like opening those little subconscious doors um, that exist in everyone. I think that's um, that's an effective way to get there. Mm. And uh, and yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's my attitude towards it. And also, um, comedy's part of my my brand too. It's not it's not all I do, but uh, it's it's a big it's a big part of what I consider myself to be good at and uh, what I plan on doing. Nice. You can make people feel. So good. speaking of, it. go ahead. Yeah. I was yeah. just gonna follow up. It's not that I was gonna say anything important. You can go ahead, Marcel. Keep rolling. Well, I, I just wanted to, you know, stay talking about her brand, and I know that she hosts kind of workshops via Crash Space. So I, I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, the turnouts last year. You know, if it was effective, and, and if she's still gonna do it. Yeah. Well, you know, um, turnout definitely has been um, increasing. I would say the last class, it's been a while. I've been taking a little bit of a hiatus from giving my Bitcoin classes just because I've been, um, concentrating on, on doing this, um, and other related things full time. But I would say like for my last two classes, like in last one was in November. And then I think I had another one like September or October. I got about let's say fifteen to twenty people show up. It's not bad. Which is not pretty, bad. pretty awesome. Yeah, like I have a yeah. like I I have a, on my um class related Twitter account. I have two Twitter accounts. Like the stuff that I the Twitter account I have associated with my class stuff and more serious Bitcoin stuff is uh, Edu Crypto. And on that um, account, I have like a photo of like on the header of the people that were there, and it was you know it was a pretty full house. Um, and I was I was very excited about that, and um, for the most part, you know, I get I get pretty good reviews because I um, have done my best to distill within about an hour because that's about the attention span that most people have, you know, to listen to what has the potential to be a very technical topic. You know, I try to distill, you know, what Bitcoin is, how it works, why it makes good money, how the network works, and how all of that is possible in, into about an hour. Um, and after that, usually, you know, what really kind of blew me away is that after an hour, you know, after I was done, wrapped up, you know, people just didn't run away. They wanted to stay and, like, ask questions. So it's generally like a two-hour experience. So I'm, you know, just sitting there trying to field, you know, all the questions that I can um, to the best of my ability. You know, I have a reasonable degree of technical knowledge, but, you know, I'm not not an economist, uh, not a software engineer or anything like that. I'm just trying to help people understand, you know, what a revolutionary and groundbreaking thing this is and uh, just uh, to help them also understand that 
really, I think it benefits a lot of people directly. Like it benefits the end user, you know, the small people way more than it could potentially benefit the establishment. You know, we just have to see how this, how this goes, but I think it's really about um, giving people financial independence. And to that degree, you know, I think it's also really about giving content creators financial independence, which is becoming more and more of an important thing because, you know, if you become like, let's say a successful YouTuber and you either sign with a multi-channel network um, or, you know, a number of other contractual obligations that people generally do and they become successful, you know, you're really chained to that platform, you know, for, for years. Mm-hmm. You know, and they have a lot of control over your ad earnings and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, griping and some of the very subreddits about how people get treated by the multi-channel networks and that kind of thing. But, you know, if as a content creator, you're just able to get people to send you micropayments to your own wallet, like you have total control, you, know, you don't have to deal with any of that management stuff. You know, even though those multi-channel networks have a value add in terms of marketing and all that sort of thing, you know, they, uh, they do have a pretty big say in uh, um, your ad rates and, and all that. Mm-hmm. So, so to to switch gears a little bit, uh, right now you've got a show called Hacker Liars, and as well, Hacker so, Liars, yes. Could you, uh, right now, could you tell us a little bit about that? Oh yeah, yeah, I would love to. Um, oh, by the way, before I start, I would love if anybody's listening um, and they're in LA or the Bay Area, I would love. Um, I'm uh, would love to cast some more some more hackers to be on Hacker Liars. But basically what it is, is it's sort of like um, MTV Cribs for the tech industry, you know, because uh, I have uh, a couple of friends. I just, for whatever reason, I've, I've always known a lot of software engineers. I've always had a lot of software engineer friends. And a lot of them, you know, not all of them because everybody's different, but a lot of them have these really, really fascinating living environments, you know, um, because they make a decent amount of money, you know, they uh, and they're able to... Do things like, you know, my first episode, I have a friend in LA, his name's Patrick, you know, he likes collecting arcade games, you know, he built this like really cool Tron pinball machine pretty much from scratch, like he modded that thing himself, you know, and I think it is beautiful, actually, I think it's really cool, Um, you know, just like really interesting stuff that's like, that's not bling necessarily, but that is, you know, kind of like, people really, who are really interested in technology who leverage like really cool things like automation and, you know, also are able to surround themselves with like a beautiful living space, but, um, but not the typical sort of kind of reality show, like, Oh my God, like look at all the coach curses in my closet kind of thing, you know, stuff that's a little bit more uh, technologically interesting. So that's, that's pretty much what a hacker layers is about is finding, you know, really cool people in the tech industry to show off uh, their living environments. And if anybody's interested, you know, just uh, send me a message on my website. I would love to, uh, to have you on. Yeah. I got to say, cause like, I mean, you're watching MTV cribs, you know, back when it was on and I'm like, wow, okay. Another escalate with rims, another fur coat, another <laughs> indoor pool. So this is interesting. Cause I think every hacker kind of has an individual space. that's going to be unique from episode to episode. That's a great idea. Yeah. That's, that's my hope. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm super, super hopeful. Um, you know, would love to, to get some people, uh, finding out to, to be on it, you know, really awesome. Uh, 
No, it was actually inspired. This is, uh, I don't follow it, but there's a subreddit called, I think it's called like Battle Stations, where uh-huh. they, uh, people post like their desks. And like people have like these amazing desks, you know, like seven monitors and crazy, you know, captain chairs and all the rest. It's just, it's, it's fun. It's, it's one of those like, the pieces of inspiration behind behind starting that. What's weird I know, is like I, I never wanted to admit it to anybody, but I actually view those. Like I love looking at other people's desks and seeing how their offices look. I always thought that was like a guilty pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> now, I guess the really cool thing is your show is available for I think a quarter, an equivalent to Bitcoin. This is an amount that is impossible to charge over the internet using standard payment rails because of credit card transaction fees. So, what other kind of doors yeah. can this type of payment open up? You know, I mean, I think it can open a lot. Um, for instance, you know, one of the things I think about um, is streaming. You know. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, a few months, there's this, like, company, I think these guys were in uh, uh, South America, I think. I don't want to name the country, so I don't totally remember. But it's called Streamium, like, streamium.io, and you just, like, you pay to see, to stream somebody's video feed mm-hmm. for a certain amount of time. Um, and the cool thing about, you know, it has a lot of uh, potential for, like, live sports events in terms of, like, as opposed to pay- pay-per-view you can just tune in, you can pay for whatever, you know, you want to see and then, you know, just exit. And then you don't have to pay this huge blanket fee for like a bunch of stuff that you don't want to see. Um, another thing that I think has a, is really going to be interesting is um, once it starts getting bigger. Um, and I do think, you know, it's going to start getting bigger at a certain point because I think people in the industry, they understand the ad revenue model is, is not working, um, which is why, you know, YouTube Red came out and a whole uh, bunch of other stuff. Um, but once, you know, we get these platforms uh, with a lot of content posted on them that is available to pay for with micropayments, you know, we're going to be able to do things like algorithmically assess, like, how much a certain piece of content is worth at a given point in time, given its popularity, uh, which I think is... Uh, potentially interesting. Um, you know, that's a potential use case. And um, also, you know, I will also say that I think for the most part that 25 cents per view at scale, you know, when you're talking about, you know, millions of views and that kind of thing, it's probably a little expensive. Um, I think it should probably, in the long run, um, be a little less. But I have the, the prices set where they are right now because I'm just I'm just getting um, started for the most part and you know 25 cents still still isn't a lot you know but um, on the end user um, on on their end um, a quarter of a dollar you know every time they want to consume a piece of content is it's going to start to impact them after a while so you know we could have sort of a subscription kind of like so it's very similar to what Blundell is is doing you know like on a micro uh-huh. payment platform and. And see how, see how that goes, you know. Um, and also, uh, that's one of the reasons I'm also excited about viewers network as much as I am because um, incentivizing people to pay in the first place, you know, if you make it an investment for them as opposed to just a one-way payment for content, um, people get people get really into that. Um, I think that that is an excellent concept. Um, really, really want to see that project succeed. So. 
if if I can get the full scope of what you're talking about, can you break down the margins of how exactly you've you've generated? I I believe more revenue using micropayments in one day than an ad supported version would in its entire lifetime. Is that true? Pretty much. Um, what do you think <laughs> right now? Um, because what's interesting is that you know a lot of my views are still on YouTube. So if I were to do the math, I mean, I definitely I make way more money um, using Pop Trust comparatively um, than I do with YouTube. Like for instance, my YouTube revenues in total right now. Um, like I, I'm actually pretty excited. I'm just about to clear my first $100 on YouTube, which is a pretty big deal actually nice. for a lot of people uh, because right. it's it's pretty yeah it's it's pretty hard to get to that that $100 point. Um, in comparison, uh, my earnings using Pop Chest are about let's say about a third of that, but that is with way 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 fewer reviews um you know i mean the orders of magnitude of how much more money i've made using pop just comparatively to so how much right. money i've made on youtube like yeah it's like i mean i didn't i didn't do the math before i came on here probably should have but um it's it's so much more profitable you know it's uh it's a it's a huge difference and i think it's as, as soon as we can get people seeing that you know i think there's going to be a pretty big migration over there because people like to be rewarded for their work. Yeah. That's Absolutely. I mean, if you just cross a hundred dollars and you had a third of that already on pop, yeah. test, then that is yeah. really, a, that is a lot faster. A lot faster. So I, yeah. I didn't mean the shark tank you either. Like, give me your margins. Give me your numbers. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. I mean, I'm pretty, you know, I mean, I have a pretty transparent policy when it comes to this stuff. Cause especially, you know, that it pertains to, to micropayments and explaining how much better they are as opposed to the current, you know, what we're able to make on the YouTube platform. It helps to be able to like list actual numbers. And I mean, it's pretty, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still in my brand building phase. So I'm just like, yeah, you know, I mean, this is, this is about, this is about it. You know, this is, this is an estimate. We should get really shark tanky on here. Like, how do you, <laughs> how do you plan to scale? How do you plan to make? No, I'm kidding. All right. So <laughs> anyways, <laughs> Uh, the next question, it tends to be our toughest question. So I hope you put your thinking cap on today and you're ready for this one. Okay. In 10 words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? Okay. Um, let me think. Um, I'm going to say decentralized digital currency, not controlled by a government. Nice. Eight we'll words. People are getting better and better. We're going to have to set the limit. Yeah. <laughs> As we get more popular, everyone gets better and better. We're going to have to say in two words. Describe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you very much, Laura Lopez. All right. She's one of the uh, Bay Area Bitcoin superheroes, officially. We well, so we'll keep tabs you. on you. So Thanks for having Bay. me on. I really, really appreciate it. No Absolutely. Have a good day. All right. Good talking to you guys. All right, bye-bye. Bye. And that was the interview with Laura Lopez from Such Wild TV, where they do funny videos, and they have embraced the concept of microtransactions. 
because Bitcoin can do microtransactions very well. Yeah, it's one of the first things it can do Bitcoin microtransactions very really well. It's current system isn't really set up to do small amounts of payments multiple times in a small amount of time. Whereas you can really do that really well with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies naturally. And the Lightning Network makes it even that much better. I'm a big fan of the Lightning Network and what it what it is potential possibility for Bitcoin. Do you what do you think everyone's fears are so much that fear like Oh, when the Lightning Network comes on, the miners won't get paid, and fees on the regular blockchain are going to skyrocket, and then the sky is going to fall, and the Earth's like mantle that? is going to solidify, and the Earth is going to also implode after that. People think that after the Lightning Network, the fees are going to go up on the main chain? Yeah, that's one of the... Because what happens is, if I'm correct, you can put like a Bitcoin in stasis... And then people essentially are paying your node to, tr- to use transactions like a mofo. Yeah, they use you as a payment channel. And then your your Bitcoin is essentially the, like liquid money for others to use. Liquid money. Mm, sounds so good. I don't know why. It sounds refreshing, too. Huh. Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah. what, that's what Magic Johnson used to cure his AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> Man. We leave no stone unturned at the big podcast. <laughs> Eighth jokes to I think we accidentally dropped the 9-11 joke one time. Shout out to Cello. <laughs> too soon? Was it too soon? Never too so, soon. Is it? 2011. No, it's, been, it's been 15 years. It's, it's been 15, 15 years. It's half my lifetime. It's, it's long enough. Yeah. <laughs> still, still a sore subject. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, back to the lighting network. I don't. I don't know why people are so afraid of it, or they think fees are going to go up on the main chain. That's not. That's not how it's going to work. It actually offloads a lot of the pressure of the main chain, which is great. It's because it takes all the ships that people are paying for. It's minute. The lighting network should be used for things like thirty dollars and below, right? Yeah, it will be beautiful because it allows for all of the minute transactions that take place. I've said this over and over and over and over again. You have, you use different methods to pay for things for, depending on what you're doing, right? If you're making a giant purchase, like if you're buying a house, you use the most secure, somewhat slower method that may cost a little bit more to make sure that it's done properly. If you're buying a donut, you don't want a damn receipt. You just, you throw money at somebody. You don't really care. And so (laughs) if you have... Multiple avenues that take that that do those specific types of transaction best. You use what's best for whatever you're doing. Lightning Network is small purchases or microtransactions, um, or you know, doing day to day nonsense, securing really private information on the blockchain. Okay, you're going to go directly to the blockchain, and other use cases may come up. We'll have smart contracts come and other do things. So. We're going to have a lot of different use cases to do different types of things, and they'll be the best for that type of thing. You don't have to kind of be relegated to only one method of payment anymore. Shout out to Mitch Hedberg. (laughs) For what? Oh, the donut? (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, this is a thought I literally just had while you were talking. What if the... 
idea of homeless were kind of inverted to where, and I thought about it because you said, here's, give me the donut and then I'm just going to throw my money at your face. Like, what if you could just make an announcement on the internet that said, you know, this is me and this is how much money I'm willing to pay for a thing. And then, you know, merchants would actually compete to get that money. They would vow for your money instead of the other way around, like on eBay, where you're like bidding for the thing. What if merchants were just like, oh, here's the thing I can provide for you, and this is why it's awesome. You should buy mine instead of the I guess they tried doing that type of stuff with loans. They have certain companies that do that with like loans, how, you know, the loan, the banks fight for you type of thing. I wonder if you could make a whole merchant ecosystem that's that. I mean, isn't that essentially what Purse.io does for Amazon? I don't know that. I don't even know if Purse.io has a great relationship with Amazon. I think Purse.io uses a very sneaky way of buying gift cards to do it. I'm not even terribly sure if Amazon even knows Purse.io exists. Even though Purse.io is great and it's like a, it's, it's, it works really well and it's giant, I don't even know if Amazon knows they exist. Yeah. Steve Bezos does so much shit with that company. That I don't, I'm 100%, I'm not 100% sure. I'm at least 80% sure that Amazon barely even knows that purse.io exists at all. Because of what they do. I, I mean, I think if Amazon fully knew, would you let them, would they just let purse.io take their revenue like that? They're not taking the revenue. Amazon, Amazon's still making money. Yeah, but not as much because of the dis. Uh, nope, I haven't thought Purse.io through right. They don't. Nope, you haven't. Amazon's making the exact same money as they always have. That's yeah, that's not a partnership with Amazon. Yeah, people are just making their Bitcoin. That's, that's essentially it's it's a, it's changing the U.S. dollar to Bitcoin ratio to save the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so speaking of of you know new merchants, we have Open Bazaar coming out or has come out and has become. Uh, live, and that's the, I guess what they call the first. I guess they their claim to fame is their first complete Bitcoin borderless merchant, or you know, bizarre marketplace where you can buy anything for Bitcoin anywhere in the world. And I know you 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 downloaded it and played with it. What, what were your I did feelings? It and play with it until I accidentally virused myself. Wow! By deleting my app oh. data folder. Yeah. This just in community, if you ever run out of space on your C drive and you feel like you need to increase it and you're going through your file explorer and you see a file called app data that has like 50 gigabytes of shit in it and you're like, oh, that'll be perfect to get rid of. Yeah, don't. Yeah, don't yeah D doesn't know how to use computers. He's a 80 year old man. <laughs> yeah. But even even the name of the folder should have tipped you off that you should not have deleted it. App well, data. It's data for your apps. Why would you delete all that? Here's the only justification. I did it for the people. Okay, I did it to make room for Open Bazaar, and I got Open Bazaar working. Okay. I don't know. Why don't you ask your your one of your best friends who's really good at computers what whether or not you should delete such a large folder I'm or like what you could do to 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 say <laughs> clearly you aren't. <laughs> I'm good at computers. Look, I know it gave me four warnings before I finally deleted it. 
but the th- the fact of the matter is, I got open bazaar working just fine, but everything else after that was pretty bad. So, anyways, got open bazaar working. It looks very clean. For some reason, it reminds me of like I don't know the like opening the landing page of Steam. For some reason, it's really crisp. Um, the UI is pretty smooth. I like it. UI is good, and then for some reason, when you get when you give me the name Bazaar, I think of that one like this might be alienating some of our fans. But you know that like weird, uh, not weird, that like Indian background that rappers used to sample a lot in the, in the late nineties, Marcello. The like I'm the that one. Oh, that oh, terrible Jay Z song. Yeah, the Jay Z song, and it was on like that Night Rider song that Busta Rhymes did. Yeah, yeah, that song. Uh, well, that's what I think when I open, open Bazaar. Like I'm in the bazaar. Simply because of the word bazaar. Yeah, and like whenever I click on someone's name and I'm like looking through their store, I hear them like say it to me like, "Take your time, take your time." And so, so really. Indian. That's funny how your brain works. I wish that I could be a fly on the wall of Dee's brain sometimes. <laughs> would, I think it'd be incredibly entertaining. So if you're ordering Chinese food, please tell me what's going through your mind when you order <laughs> Chinese food. Uh, you know the E-Honda music? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty much that. I see. What are they going to provide for Anyway, take your time. Take no matter what, people want D to take his time wherever he is. They're they yes. want him to take his time. Browse, because browse my words. Like, I watch a movie, and that's tip where I get most of my information from. Like all the documentaries, Predator, Aliens, and so. But this particular movie, they were doing business in a bazaar, and I really like the idea of like you don't just like now. I'm so damn Western. I, I make a decision what I want before I even walk in the mall. I go straight to the store that I want. I basically stiff arm the kiosk operators in the throat. They're like, hey, can I get a second of your time? And I'm like, get out of here. And I go straight to the store I want. I get my thing. And then I walk straight out of the mall. You, guys you should come here to Brazil. Mm-hmm. You, come to, you can't do that in Brazil. It's very difficult. Yeah, I notice you can't do that in lots of places. Like, you got to go in and talk to people. Like, say you just want a carpet or a rug. And, like, you've got to get to know the person selling the rug. And then eventually you get to know the hard work and passion they put into making the rug. And then eventually you guys talk about price. Eventually. But it's going to be like a 45 minute deal just getting the rug. No, when they realize I don't speak that good Portuguese, they're just like, okay, thanks. And kind of walk away. And then when I tell them what I want, I point at it and they go, oh, okay. At any point, do right. they ever say, take your time? No, no, especially not like that. <laughs> <laughs> take your time. Anyways, so Open Bazaar. So the, Go ahead. The, the reason why Open Bazaar is so awesome is because now uh, the cost to run a business is almost zero. And the only fee that you have to pay is what the escrow. And you can use escrow my bits. Since there's no server, there's no SEO, there's no domain name, there's no payment processor, there's no chargeback. I mean, it's it's a perfect system. That's a lot of that's a lot of headaches. I I actually did a ton. I had a small 
I wouldn't say business, but I did a lot of PayPal, not PayPal, but eBay, uh, business. I sold mm-hmm. a lot of shit on eBay and for all my friends, myself, so on and so forth. And it's just, it's a, it's a pain in the ass sometimes. They take a lot of fees. I had to like keep a track of how much I was making and how much I was, had to pay eBay for. I got chargebacks sometimes. I had to do customer source, customer support. You still have to do customer support, but it's with the person and not through an intermediary. It's like, oh, you, oh, it didn't work. I'll prove that it didn't work. Okay. Well, I'll refund your money. Send it back and I'll give you your money back. It's, it's not like, all right, well, submit a ticket and then they'll get sent to me and all, all, all other nonsense and then you know, so on and so forth. And so you know, if you, if you have all your rules and regulations splayed out on your open bazaar page, which you can set up for free, then it's just like going to a bazaar or like what are those knickknack places or you go to like a swap meet or, or some shit like that. Or you just thrift go shop. You just thrift shop where people are just have a little, have a little market in a, in a big ass store. Knickknacks. I think that was another they sell place. Paddy wax? Yeah, they give dogs bones. Damn it. I, was, I wanted to finish that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> shit. Anyway, you're talking about antique stores. So, you know, stuff like that where like you walk around and it's like just little people with the thing they make and then they have a little, they have a little section of a store and you're like, Oh, you make this with your hands. That's cool. Uh, how much for it? And they're like, Oh, it's this much. You're like, well, you take this much. They're like, yeah. And then you pay them and you get the thing. You walk away. You're happy. That's it. That's a bizarre. That's a bizarre. And now you can do that on the internet. Yep. Oh, bizarre. you, you, you host it. So like if Corey was using eBay, you know, that website, is held on someone else's computer with this. I mean, you have full control of it, which means as long as your computer's up, your store is up. What's that called? That's called decentralized. Yeah. Decentralized. It's It's like, I'll take that. Don't know. A little bit of decentralized flakes on it, please. Mm. That sounds like it. That doesn't, I mean, it sounds tasty to me, but what you just explained is an open store. If we're still going to open up our storefront, we should definitely have right as they go into the store. It should say "Take your time." <sighs> you you really want that to happen? I really you really want that to not make money. <laughs> and then Indian dudes look at you and just be like, "Fuck you, man!" and just walk away. No, they, they would be like, "Wow, this guy wants me to take my time. He wants to look at my merch. He wants me to look at his merchandise." And what you need to do is have a video camera on the front that that tries to guess the race of the person walking in and says, "Take your time," and an in a shitty accent based on what race they think they are. <laughs> you at least have like you, you equal, can, equal opportunity alienation. You can buy takeyourtime.com for thirty five thousand dollars if you want. It's on sale. It's on sale. Someone's, someone's selling it. They use machine learning to guess people's race. So in order to alienate them. Just just in order to alienate them, that's all. All right. Sounds like a good time to close the show. Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah. So let's wrap this shit up. You guys ready Go ahead. for this shit? Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Uh, first and foremost, shout out to Zoe Saldana. Keep keeping it real. Uh, we got a website going, the BitcoinPodcast.com. Yep. It is where you can go to get information about Bitcoin that is good and plentiful for the soul. Uh, we have our Twitter. 
our Twitter at BBTC Podcast. Chell runs the team, mm-hmm. and he loves running it. It's like his thing. I love it. Loves it. And it's my thing. What else do we have going? Um, what else is brewing? Well, I'm, lo- I'm blanked right there. Our Zap Chain is still going. Uh, we got. Go ahead. We got our Medium blog. Uh, we got our newsletter. Sign up for that. Yep. Zap Chain. I think we're done with that. Yeah, Zap Chain's getting kind of. Uh, please send me bits. Like it seems like it's a little bit. Yeah. People just trying to farm bits, and that's not cool. So mm. get away to get. And then. I think next week we're hitting you with a midweek episode with uh, MK Lords is coming back on the show and got David Seaman and a bunch of other cool, cool people. Yes, as your Airbits ambassadors, we are obligated and dutiful to to bring you Airbits news. And Airbits dropped a uh, developer's kit. Um, what's the S stand for again? Software development. Software kit. development kit. And um, we're hoping you love it. Uh, it'll add some security to your Appy apps. And what else? Do we got going? Let's see here. Any personal things we got to shout out? They're all good. Uh, Corey, who you got on the Dos Santos fight? Dos Santos. Who you got on Gonzaga? I don't know, man. Wait, I haven't said. Who's Gonzaga fighting? Lewis. I'm taking that guy. <laughs> The black guy. That guy's black? I had no idea. I just wanted to take the opposite of Gonzaga because I hate that name. <laughs> well, there you have it. Expert opinions at the Bitcoin podcast. Place your bets. <laughs> Put it all on Luis. Luis. Because uh, Gonzaga. All right. Uh, other than that, um, play the outro.